0: Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily. I'm Derek Terry, joined by Sean Smith. Sean, we are officially in the offseason now for both major UK sports, UK basketball, of course, had its season end last Thursday and a stunning loss to St. Peters. And then Kentucky football is in spring practice right now. They're cranking it back up, but uh, I think much of the big blue nation is still reeling from <laughs> what happened on Thursday
1: yeah it's that's all you see still on social media and every every name that you think might hit the portal you got people speculating you got people kind of wondering well does Tata washington have a sophomore year in him is oscar shibwe going to get everything figured out and come back to kentucky should john calipari be fired his buyouts such and such <laughs> it's uh a lot of panic and i think in my time covering the beat and probably following this program under john calipari it feels like we're all finally at a crossroads that I don't think that we've ever been at. Uh, I know John Calipari's got there a couple of times. We went on this podcast a year ago and said that some things have to change, but even after a nine and 16 year, there was no talk of is he the right man for the job moving forward? Or, and I've seen some of his biggest supporters and people that have never said anything negative about Cal, not really saying negative things, but they're certainly saying, okay, this isn't acceptable. And if you do this again for a third year, then you start bringing up a, a whole new conversation here. But it, it feels like Cal, Kentucky fans, Mitch Barnhart, everyone involved is kind of at a crossroads here, and it needs to lead in a positive direction, Derek.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is as down as I've been uh, in the Calipari era in terms of how this thing is going. Last year, I think – um I think that team, even in a – let's say we lived in a world where COVID never happened, I still think that team with the point guard situation and just overall youth and lack of, you know, any true post presence, I think that team wouldn't have had a historically bad year, but I also think that team would have struggled to make the tournament. But as it was with the 9-16 and year, you you know, there was some truth to – the fact that that group, which it was so young, you know, you could say they really needed the, the summer to come together. I believe all those things to be true. Um, but as it is, they went nine and 16. But with the transfer portal this offseason, with some of the recruits they brought in, I mean, it was this was supposed to be the, the redemption tour, right? This was supposed to be the year where, you know, they got back. And at parts this season, they were, I would probably go as far to say, a dominant team. But that was in January, and, you know, whether it be injuries, other things like that, they never really got back to to what they were there in, in late January and early February. And uh, had, hadn't even crossed my mind that Kentucky could lose a basketball game to St. Peter's because our whole lives, probably anybody listening to this podcast, Kentucky has avoided that, you know, really high seed upset. Never lost to a fifteen. Obviously, only one team's ever lost to a sixteen. Um, but this was just the tenth time this has ever happened, and you know it's happened. You've seen Duke get knocked out by fourteen and fifteen. I think uh, I think Lehigh and Mercer were both fourteens, weren't they? Uh, something
1: like
0: Le- that. Yeah, Lehigh was a
1: fifteen, I believe, 15. and then Mercer was a fourteen.
0: So it happens. Remember, like it's it's. Yeah. I mean, it's it's part of it. Um, but I think in the timing on what it came off of, and and. Sean, you might have said this on the last episode, but it just felt like those last few weeks. I mean, I think he texted me during the Tennessee game and said he thought that was as bad as they've ever played in that tournament. And we could still kind of write it off and say, well, you know, I mean, they were kind of right there, had it one possession playing that bad. But what happened with St. Peter's, I mean, I think big picture, and that's what we wanted to talk about tonight, it's – um. I think there are a couple of departures away from it being full out crisis mode. I really do. I, I believe that maybe I shouldn't, but am I crazy? Is anybody crazy for thinking that
1: they no, you're, you're not, you're, you're not crazy because looking at it and I'm, that's the thing that I went on the episode that I recorded just uh takeaways and I told you I went 30 minutes going on with it and I probably could have gone a more 30 more <laughs> minutes. But when you look at this thing and I'm not trying to, to be all doom and gloom because i do think that as quickly as it fell apart i think it could be put together if there's a couple things that go in their favor and if Mm -hmm. if cal comes back with an attitude that he wants to get this thing right there doesn't need to be any they're not machines they're not robots there doesn't need to be any kind of talk like that i think the fan base is over that i really do i think all all those little things i haven't seen him it's it's funny jokes in time but no, you need to, and, and I thought for the most part, and we'll get into what he said last night on the radio uh, because I thought he actually did a very good job with with this call- in show. and even though it was pre-recorded, I thought Leach did a really good job with the questions. We'll get into that in a, in a topic here in a minute, but you're talking about decisions. If Shaden Sharp and Oscar both leave, I think that it could be a significant problem for Kentucky, obviously because there's no one in the portal that can replace Sharp a three-level scorer that is an elite-level NBA prospect. You're not getting that in the transfer portal. And then we already know you cannot replace Oscar Sheba. You can get pieces that fill his spot, but you can't make up what he did. I mean, it's an all-time generational player. Like, it'll be 30 years before we see somebody do what he did. That's what history is showing us. So if you lose both of those guys, I think it's a huge blow. If you somehow get one of those two back – I think Kentucky will be fine. If you get both of them back, Derek, I think Kentucky goes into next year a top five team with what they piece around it. Like, this is a very important thing uh, for one of those two to be on the roster next year. And if it's both of them, I am I feel a lot better, and I think fans will feel much better going into the year, too.
0: Yeah, I think there, there are three guys, I would say, that could really make people feel better. Those two you mentioned, I think, are – a tier above, and then Tata would be a big boost, too, although I'm not I'm not expecting that that's going to materialize in anything. I would still expect um, the fact that he's still – I mean, this is his, the last mocks I saw were probably last week, something like that. He was still going in the lottery. And Tata had his moments this year, I thought against non-conference lower-level teams. He was very consistent, very good had a great game against Tennessee, set the assist record against Georgia. He had some really good moments this freshman year. He also had games where he didn't show up against good teams. Um, So I think you add in his injuries that he had, I think that was significant, um, especially there towards the end in some of those big games. But Duke, Notre Dame, games like that early in the season, uh, he wasn't too good in. So I think all those things considered with the year he had, if he could still go in the lottery, he should definitely go. Um, But his dad caused some speculation because he talked about year one (laughs) in his tweet, but still wouldn't read too much into that. But, I mean, the the absolute pipe dream is if you somehow had all three of those guys on your team next year, I would probably put the chances of that near zero. But as of March 22nd when we record this, you can still kind of dream a little bit on what the roster could be. Um, you're always going to have the roster pieces that I would say, aren't all that significant to team success, but in terms of what the needs may end up being, it could change. We had on Sunday, uh, Dave and Travis Branham from 24 seven sports reported that Damian Collins planned to return to Kentucky next season. I think that's a good start, Sean. He's a guy that yeah, if he puts some weight on it, I mean, he's, if there was a disappointment, was, I'm not saying that Damian was disappointing because when Kentucky recruited him, they knew what they were getting. They were getting a kid who was extremely thin. and But I thought it was disappointing in terms of, of the team that he was never quite able to get to a point where he could get into the rotation and stick there because he brings some qualities that Lance Ware just simply doesn't have. Well, and- and honestly, that's where I honestly blame John
1: Calipari just a little bit. I know that Damian is thin, but, you know, Cal came out on his radio show and was talking that he thinks that Damian could be one of the best players in college basketball next season. Now, that's after one summer in the weight room here. I know he's already had last summer, but then this summer, I mean, we're, we're talking about putting on a lot of size, and I think he will add some strength. But there were times this year that I think that he should have just committed to playing Damian some.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because it was so hit or miss. Like, he literally, after the Ole Miss game came out, or Ole Miss or LSU, I can't remember, and said that Damien would be the reason they win or lose an NCAA tournament game. And he didn't even play in the first, in the only NCAA tournament game. And, And that's the stuff with Cal that I think has been so confusing the last couple of years when it comes to the media, some of the things that he says. And then we get back and we're like, why did he say that? you know, like, why is he talking about that? Why is he talking about them not having any NCAA tournament experience when his 2014 team that went to the title had none? Like, it's these confusing things. And and I thought that Damien should have had more opportunities. And I think maybe you would have seen him kind of have some struggles. You just saw him have some positives like we, we've seen this season. But I think in a pinch, he could have given them an impact with his length and dunking the ball at the rim and some athleticism and and stuff like that. But you got into this tournament, Derek, and he, Cal did exactly what I expected him to do. And this has always been one of my biggest criticisms of Cal, is the, the rotation started shrinking at halftime. Jacob Toppin wasn't even a factor in the second half and overtime. It's almost like we forgot he was even on the roster. And that wasn't a game where I thought Jacob Toppin should have been sitting in the second half in overtime. He was a guy that was flying everywhere in the first half. And then you you lose him in the second half. He doesn't even play him. Cal came out and said that he should have played him more, but that's been Cal. It's the play Nick Richards 10 to 15 minutes a game as a sophomore. And then you get to the sweet 16 or the elite eight, and he plays one minute. Same thing with EJ Montgomery that, that year. And I just, I've always been a, I've always been against the whole play nine guys in the regular season because when it gets down to tournament time, he's only playing seven. And it's this year it was six like Jacob didn't even play in the second half. And I, that was where I disagreed the most with Damien's development is, and Damien will be fine, but I do think that Damien could have given them some type of presence there that could have been a factor in catching lobs at the rim or getting a hand or something on a shot every now and then on the defensive end. I mean, this team was defending at such a poor rate that honest to God, they probably should have tried every one they had.
0: Yeah. I agree. I also think it's going to be important for Damian that he is utilized offensively in a way that suits him. I'm a little concerned given how Cal has coached big men in the past that he will just put Collins on the block and let him try to make plays from there. And I'm going to say Damian, while I have no doubt he will be stronger next year, never going to be a banger down there on the block. (laughs) And I hope they let him step out. I hope he continues to develop his outside shot because – Uh, because I think what Cal has shown us, Sean, I think there's probably a pretty good chance he plays alongside another big next year when Collins is out there. So whether it's Oscar or someone else they get from the portal, that's that's really the only two options at this point. Um, But I do think it's a good start because this team truly, really, really, really lacked a rim protector. And I think Damian certainly fits the kind of guy who could help in that regard. Um, I've not really heard any kind of scuttle. Legitimate scuttle, I would say, reliable on any other guy on the roster. You have your rumors, like always, and it shouldn't be surprising. With the poor, not really care to speculate that much anymore. Um, Keon was a was a guy last year. You heard a ton of rumors about. He ultimately chose to stick it out. Again, not heard anything at this point. But he's a th- you know he's going into his last year. Call it. Well, I guess with COVID, he technically has two years left if he wants to do it. Um, you know, was a starter this season. I still like Keon. I know he's kind of polarizing with the fan base. Um, I wish he shot the ball better because I've been watching a lot of the, you know, a ton of the NCAA tournament games, Sean, and it's appalling to me how many guys on these other teams can step out their bigs and hit shots. And Keon didn't take a ton of threes. Uh, he, he had a big one against Tennessee there in the SEC tournament, didn't hit any others, was mostly a mid-range shooter. Um And we talked about on the phone. It did seem like a lot of his mistakes, poor kid. It seemed like they were always kind of in big moments. Uh, So they're easy to remember. But I think something we'll have to give with the forwards just because there's so many. Lance Ware is a guy that I think is a good culture guy. I think he's a good team guy. He seems to, you know, one of his big roles this year, honestly, was just kind of irritating the other team uh, once he got in there for Oscar to spell some minutes without trying to be too harsh. I truly think it's not even arguable he's one of the least skilled players in terms of offense to play at Kentucky under John Calipari. He brings you absolutely nothing on the offensive end. But on a team like this for most of the year, it didn't really matter. But he's a guy that I think if he's going to stick around and get minutes, he's not to be a guy that you can at least throw him the ball every now and then he can score for you because uh, he was not that this year. And then Bryce Hopkins is another guy that, dare I say, won them the game against LSU. And then we never saw him again. And that was kind of how it was with him. Um, Who am I forgetting, Sean, down there? Toppin. I think Toppin, there are two guys I feel very confident confident will be back next year, Jacob Toppin and CJ Frederick. Uh, And past that, uh, I think you kind of see a scenario. where, And I don't think every single guy besides those two will leave. But you can see a scenario, though, where they might consider it whether it be professional or, or going into the transfer portal. So I think the way I'm kind of looking at it is those two should be back. You got Casein Wallace and Chris Livingston coming in. There's four players. Um, I would lean towards Xavier Wheeler being back, but again, and I told you this, I, and, I, and I don't believe this. When you lose to St. Peter's in the first round of the NCAA tournament, a 15 seed, I don't think anything should be off limits when it comes to fixing your roster. And while I don't think they should actively try to run Sabir off, um, he's a bit of a flawed player. And if someone comes along in the portal that you think will upgrade your team, if it were me, I wouldn't let Sabir keep me from doing that, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: I'm hoping that Sabir is on the roster next season. and I still feel like a lot of what went wrong down the stretch. I mean, clearly, their pace of play slowed significantly. Late in the year, I've gone back and watched the Kansas game and I've watched the Alabama game and, and, and all those from late January, early February. And just the pace that they played with was just so much quicker. Oscar did a lot more parking on the block in the final three weeks. And I think a lot of that, Eric, was because of the two guards being out. That was their best offense. Mm-hmm. And Cal re- reverted to it and stuck with it. You know, Cal was always big on he reverted or this player reverted. Well, Cal reverted a lot this year, <laughs> especially late. And with Sabir, I just think that it was a recipe for disaster when Davion Mintz forgot how to shoot the ball and Kellen Grady forgot how to shoot the ball late. And then you throw in Ty Washington shooting. I mean, you're looking at multiple games of shooting 30% from the field or yeah. less. That is just a recipe for disaster for Wheeler. And I thought the only way it would work with Wheeler this year at Kentucky is if he had knockdown shooters. He had that but then we also saw it wouldn't work when those guys weren't hitting shots. So my thing is, as long as you have dudes two through four, and I'm even moving it to four this year, your four-man, whoever it is, needs to be able to, to confidently shoot 31 33% from the three-point line. They don't have to shoot 40 Would I love it if their four-man shot 40%? Oh, absolutely. Like, I think personally Kyle Wilger would have been an absolutely amazing player for this team if you had like we've talked about players that could play uh from past years and, and kind of that maybe were under the radar i know somebody asked that in a mailbag a few weeks ago that maybe would have been better on this team than they were on others i think wilger would have been a piece that would have been very good at the four mm-hmm. with this group so would it be great if they got a 40 percent shooter there but as long as they get a guy that can shoot 32 31 from three at that spot consistently then i think Wheeler's still a go to play if you don't have shooters though you're really doing him a disservice and yourself because, look, Sabir is not going to be able to play if there's not space on the floor. And the way the game trended in the final three weeks, you had Oscar getting doubled. You had him standing on the block. You had Keon also standing on the block some. He didn't get into his mid-range game as much. Then It was really bizarre, though, the commitment to his mid-range game. Like, I've never – I don't know if I've ever seen anything like what we saw this year. Like it was almost like that was the preferred shot offensively over everyone else's shot was Keon's 14, 15 footer. <laughs> and then you had the other three guards really not be able to shoot shots. And by the end of the year, Sabir literally had nowhere to go. And that was a recipe for disaster. So I, I'm with you, what, I, what you're saying. If you can upgrade that spot, you go upgrade it and you get a shooter you get somebody that can go get their own with the ball in their hands that has a little bit more size, you upgrade it if you can. But if, if you're still an option to have Wheeler on your roster next year, whether that be starting or coming off the bench, then I'm okay with it. As long as you have the pieces to surround him, somebody can come back and say, well, they had the pieces this year and then they all fell apart. Yeah, but that's the part of the game that I don't know how you deal with that. That was more of a mental thing than it was anything else to me.
0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. What's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. it PG thirteen. Yeah, Wheeler Strikesman is the kind of guy who wouldn't love it if uh, John Calipari went out and added another point guard take his place i don't know how. and and what happens
1: what happens with that where he's already been in the portal how does that work
0: i mean the way i understand it you only get the one free time one uh so i think that's the case for anybody who is leading. well that's the thing i don't know i think it went into effect I i don't know the exact date but my understanding was all those guys this was their one time i say that but then we also saw joey gatewood Literally transfer from Kentucky and be eligible at his next school and play a game. (laughs) He was at Kentucky in August and he was playing games for UCF in September. So I don't, I don't know how flexible the Instaway will be with that. Um, I I think Kentucky, because, you know, used to before the portal and the one-time transfer, it was always like how cooperative would the school be? I think Kentucky would be if they still cared about that. I think they would be cooperative with any kid who wanted to leave. Um, But I went back, Sean, and I watched – and this is what's so appalling to me. Uh, I was sitting at home the other day, yesterday actually, and I was watching the 2011 Kentucky team, um, the North Carolina game. And I think I sent you the numbers from this. I can't remember if I did or not. But Kentucky that year, basically because of either recruiting, because you know, it, it was a lot tougher to build a roster back then if you had a lot of guys league because, I mean, then you weren't getting – one time three transfers that team a lot of the time yep. played Brendan Knight uh Deron Lamb I, I forgot about this but he had suffered an injury I think in the SEC tournament so he didn't he played I think like 25 minutes against North Carolina but DeAndre Liggins had a lot of those minutes and then you the had Darius Miller, Tans Jones, and Josh Harrelson and those were your guys and that team a lot of time Sean played four out and yep. That team, more than any other, when you want to talk about modern basketball, was constructed that way. And this was 11 years ago. They shot 20, uh, 22 threes against North Carolina in that 2011 game. They made 12 of them. I mean, they shot the, they shot very well. Brandon Knight as your point guard. Cal's not had a shooter like that, that consistent from three since then. Tyler Eulis is probably the next closest guy. Uh,
1: but he, point. he wasn't
0: a uh, point, uh, point guard, yes. Um, and then I, they lost the game to UConn the next uh, next game, but they took 27 threes that game, hit nine of them, uh, I believe is what the number was. So he's had teams in the past. I mean, that team had Josh Harrelson as a center. And credit to Jorts that year, man, he developed really, really well and was a really key <laughs> piece in that tournament. He played very well in the tournament. But think about this year if you could have construed, like, he had Darius Miller a lot of times playing the four on that team, a guy who was what, six foot seven, probably? And could shoot it. What if he had a guy like Oscar this year, and he had he surrounded him with four shooters? That's why I feel like I don't know. I just think it was by the way that this team looked at the end of the season. It was really hard to even fathom that all of those guys could become suddenly so bad all at once. <laughs> I've not seen anything like it at Kentucky. I mean, it's it was well, I mean, crazy.
1: Were... Uh, how many times did I say it this year that I just didn't see? it'd be impossible that all of them would be off at the same time. And and that's what I come back to. It has to – I mean, guys go through slumps. Mm-hmm. But something happened to this group, and something changed. I don't know what it was. Like, we weren't in that locker room. Like, they were and off the floor after they beat Florida in that, in that final season finale, but we didn't see them greedy anymore. That year, obviously, they only won one more game, so I don't know how much and they could have done. But they – It just didn't seem the same. Like, the smiles weren't there. The energy wasn't there. I don't know. I do know this. I looked at John Calipari multiple times in that game last Thursday, and I could see the pressure on his face. And I thought, okay, this is a Hall of Fame head coach that has a ton of pressure on him right now. Mm -hmm. What is going on? And his kids felt it. And you look at Wheeler out there when he missed those two free throws badly late in the game. He was scared to death, Derek. Like, they had multiple guys that looked like they were terrified. And I don't know why. Like, that's the thing. Like, this is a group that walked onto the floor at Allen Fieldhouse. They put that video up of them winking and smiling and had the look in their eyes that they were going to go blow uh, a top-10 team off the floor in their building, a place where historically they do not lose. Where did that swagger go? Where did that confidence go to the point that you're on the floor with St. Peter's and you look like the worst team of the two? And and St. Peter's was the better team that night. Kentucky would have lost to the other 67 teams in the NCAA tournament that night, the way they played. And I just, I don't understand where that confidence went from that game at Allen Fieldhouse till that game versus St. Peters.
0: What happened? Well, that's a question we'll be asking you know, forever with this team, with how this season ended. Um, do who you knows know, what the timelines go ahead. Well, do you, do you think that,
1: I mean, Cal yells a lot, he's always yelled even with the 2012 team, he yelled, he yelled, he yelled. Do you think it got to the point at the end of the year though? And I'm not trying to give him a pass. I've not been giving him a pass at all, but they did have a lot of injury issues that kind of led to chemistry issues that they never recovered from. Do you think that it just got to a point at the end of the year where these guys were like, who am I like, what am I supposed to do for this team to win? Like what exactly do I need to do or, or what am I supposed to do? And, then you saw the, the most bizarre thing to me was how Davion Mintz just fell off the planet as a defender. Like, I mean, it was, he was the worst defender on the team for the final three or four games of the year. And I never thought he was an elite defender, but he wasn't getting beat back door and, and things like that and falling asleep ball watching. Like he was in the last two to three games, Grady fell asleep as a defender in the final month of the year. Like all of them did. Like they became a very poor defensive team and I just don't know, like, if they were putting so much attention to detail on their offensive struggles that it just traveled to that end. And then they start paying attention to that end, and you, you couldn't get anything to go. Like, do you think that Cal just kind of hammering home on these guys so much? I mean, it's talking one mistake and you're out. Like, you had your guys on this roster they make a mistake like Oscar. He's not coming out, and rightfully so, you couldn't take him out. But Keon makes a mistake, boom, to the bench. Mints, boom, to the bench. Do you think that that weighs on these guys, especially when they're starting to crumble? and the ground's falling from underneath them, and they're struggling enough as it is, and they can't really build a rhythm, and they're in and out, in and out, and they just can't really establish anything. Do you think that that plays a part in maybe I, the tension yeah. that we saw?
0: I think so. Um, I don't have any doubt about it. I don't have any doubt that with especially Mintz and Grady, and that's why it's really st- stunning, honestly. I think those two definitely got in their own heads over – probably over offense and I do think it probably carried over defensively. And those are two guys who are like twenty five years old. And yeah. I mean, I know I call them kids, but like Grady's almost as old as I am. Uh so I, th- I think that yeah, I think that definitely played a part in it. and I Well, it's hard for me with Cal just because he, like you said, he's, that's just what he is. Like he's, he's been yelling at those guys for what, six months up to that point, whenever they started officially practicing. It's just how he is. So I think, you know, they, I
1: I noticed the yelling get louder at the end of the year, though. Well,
0: that's probably Cal being panicked. I mean,
1: It, it was. He, that's the thing. And you asked me before the tournament, you said, did Cal, was Cal nervous tonight? And I think you were talking about his radio show. Did Cal seem was it nervous or maybe pan, I don't know what how you worded it. Yeah, I can't
0: remember. It sounds something like But
1: I but I said no, I don't. I don't really think so. But now that I go back and look, Derek, he was nervous. He was nervous from that game against Vandy on. I think that he was really concerned, and it turned into a. kind of a a plea to his guys to build their confidence. Like everything that he said was trying to build confidence. And I didn't catch it because, you know, I'm going to tell you this. This is the first time I went into this and thought, oh, really, I didn't go into it. I come out of it thinking, all right, (laughs) now we know March doesn't magically fix anything. Yeah. And I feel like every year under Cal, regardless of who they were, I think even in the back of my mind, I thought they'd make a run the SEC tournament last year, as bad as they were just because it's John Calipari in March. The same lack of confidence we have in Rick Barnes at Tennessee, it was the opposite in John Calipari. But this year taught me that when there's red flags at the SEC tournament, there's going to be a sinking ship in the next tournament. And I just kind of just passed it off and was like, okay, this isn't anything to worry about. Cal's going to get it figured out this week. But then I, I realized that Cal's confidence was false confidence. But he was hoping to God that somebody would grab the life raft and and they wouldn't sink. But they did. I mean, they sunk. Like, it was the most – I've never seen a team collapse and fall apart the way this one did at Kentucky.
0: No, certainly not. I mean, even, you know, last year's team was bad throughout. Wasn't surprising at all. Uh, I mean, maybe a little surprising because that was the first time they'd lost to Mississippi State. I can see what you're saying. He kind of just thought maybe it could happen. Um Last topic I want to talk to you about tonight, and it's a doozy. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. But, you know, Shaden Sharp, let's just talk about this whole situation because I, I think – I mean, hell, I, I think even more than Oscar. I think this is I think this is a guy people really care about what he does. Um, and I think Cal could be in a, a truly awful spot right here because and, – and please correct me if I'm wrong as I set this stage. And, again, people listening to this probably know everything, but I was still on the beat whenever – I think I was still on the beat whenever they said Shaden wasn't going to be playing, uh, or maybe I just left one of the two. However, when he came to Kentucky, Sean, it was reported that he was not eligible for the NBA draft, right? That's how it was when he first got here. So that changed (laughs) in like, what, February, something like that, with the ESPN report. And then the reports do what?
1: And yeah, Giovanni was the one that really – Started reporting all that.
0: And then you had the whole situation with, you know, I think at that point it hadn't been ruled out that he was going to play. So, and I don't remember the exact dates when all these things happened, but, you know. It was, you, you, it
1: was after Vandy at Rupp, and I think you were still on the beat.
0: That's right. right. Well, I was I was on Shade and Watch for those last few games and uh, wondering. And it just so happened to coincide with – Kentucky might have, in hindsight, it was probably peaking at – they were the time when they were needing to make these decisions. So they had established themselves as title contenders. Um, you know, legitimately they had, they played, played great. The guards had, and I mean, that was a real conversation back then about what shade and might do to the chemistry of that team. But the plan all along, the gist of it is the plan all along is his family has said that the plan or he and his family, whoever has said that the plan was to come to Kentucky early practice with this team and then come back and be here next season but you continue to see his name pop up on top five drafts really if you read between the lines and sometimes not even between the lines sometimes it's just flat out said like it doesn't seem like anybody thinks he's going to be back at kentucky next year yeah so what do you make of what is going to happen like the, the spot because i think cal has set the stage and this could be the truth i think cal has basically set it up to where if Shaden doesn't stay he Just call it what it is. He lied to Kentucky about what he planned to do. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't think fans are going to, with losing in the first round and how things are going, I don't think Shaden Sharp is going to get too much criticism. And I don't know that, one, shame on you. Like I'll say that if you, if you deceived them, if you knew or whatever that you were all along, you're going to go to the draft and then told, said all these things and then, you know, put Kentucky maybe in a bad spot next year, then you shouldn't have done that. So, Sean, with all that being said, if Shaden does leave, what do you think the fallout will be for John Calipari?
1: I I don't think it'll be good, Derek. Uh, Given what just happened in that tournament and what happened the year before, and on top of that, Shaden Sharp was supposed to be the kind of piece that gets you back to doing what you were doing at one point in your time, which was landing the consensus number one player in a class. Now he reclassified that made him not the number one player in the 21 class, but we know what he was before he reclassified. And he's a surefire, in my opinion, top five pick. If he comes back to Kentucky, I think he has a great chance to be the overall number one pick the following year. If he performs at that level, the fallout would be, to me, it would be one of the lowest points of Cal's time, just given coming on the heels of what just now happened. If he's not in a jersey next year, you're gonna have the whole he just used Kentucky for the platform and all this stuff. And then Cal got played. And it's just not gonna be a really fun time. Like there's gonna be a lot of that. You know, people were saying that about Homie when Hami went to the draft and went up into like pretty much the midnight hour deciding on whether he was coming back or leaving. You had people saying, well, he just used the program and tried to take that PR boost and all that stuff. It would go to probably four different levels with it being shade sharp. And a lot of it is the culture that is Kentucky right now and the way the fans are already upset. I think that's just kind of a a recipe for me, one of the lowest moments we've had under John Calipari.
0: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's – I think the best case scenario for Calipari would have been that they made a run in this tournament and showed that they didn't need him. But the fact that your guard play turned out to be just truly atrocious by the end of the season, and you have a kid who potentially could be a top five pick and Cal said that he would have been a good player. (laughs) If you would have put him in the game, he probably would have been a good player for you. That one I think will be tough to get around and maybe Cal doesn't care. Maybe Cal just does not care well, what people think, but I think. And I
1: looked at those comments as him kind of covering his self. Does that make sense?
0: Like, but he when, wanted to play it, him, but it was Shaden's decision? I Yes.
1: I think I felt like Cal coming out and saying that moments after he lost the tournament game. Now, he was obviously asked that question, and he didn't dodge it. He, he answered it and said that he would have been a good player this year and that they did have more talks about playing. Now, my thing is, when did those talks occur? We didn't get a time frame mm-hmm. on when the next conversation was. My thought is, after Ty Ty's injury, there probably was a conversation of can you play, do you want to play, is it right for us, is it right for you, but you said something earlier when these conversations were coming about, I'm, I'm not going to criticize John Calipari for him not playing this year because I don't think it was only Cal's decision. And I, I think it's hard to criticize someone when you're only half the decision. The criticism, I think, would come from, you know, maybe why did you take him in the first place, but any coach in college basketball was taking Shaden and Sharp. And they would go through this same scenario for the chance to have him on the roster and playing, whether this year or next year. But I felt like Cal coming out in that tournament setting and saying, he could have, he would have been a good player. We talked about it. I think that opened the door for fans to get even more upset because if he had just said, no, nope, we talked about it late January, early February, we made the decision, we stuck with it, at no point did we ever look at it again. That would have been the easiest answer right there that kind of protects Shaden. But coming out and saying that you had another conversation and that he would have been a good player, I think opens the door for more criticism. But in the same sense, I think it kind of comes out from Cal Sand. I wanted to play him, but we didn't. Like it just it felt different. It almost felt like Cal was trying to say, no, I wanted this to happen. I, I don't want him just to come here and not play. So it'll be interesting to see if he does leave, how does Cal talk about it? Like how do you approach it? I don't know what he says that makes the fans feel better. I, I don't know if there's anything that you can make to say the fans feel better. I think the fans will that might be the the tipping point, honestly.
0: Well, I mean, if you go by Cal's history, he uh he's gonna he's never gonna take down an NBA draft prospect, is he? So no. they gonna put Shaden up on the wall? <laughs> he's a top five pick. I mean, I don't they put Cannon yeah, people- I don't Canner circumstances were different. I understand. He he wasn't allowed to play based on the instant ruling, but I'm pretty sure, you know. When he got drafted, he was from the University of Kentucky, all these things, even though he didn't, you know, actually play for Kentucky. I mean, that's the one thing where was – I mean, Cal's never – he's never tried to hide that, has he? That he's about those kids getting drafted. And uh, he was Shaden. you know, it is what it is. He, you know, he wasn't going to be, I guess, responsible, you could say, if Shaden didn't really want to play and then Cal still said the hell with it you're on my team i'm the coach i'm on the side and if his stack would or his draft stock would have suffered because of that one maybe the kid wasn't as good in the first place uh but then two you know what could that do to future recruits i mean I, there's a lot of nuance to this but in general it's no one is going to be rational i don't think on this situation after what happened um with the loss and I, and i said it from the start that i thought it was uh they don't need to be in the business of bringing kids in here for half a year and not playing. It, it benefits literally no one except for the kid. I don't even think it benefits Calipari in any way it to doesn't. have that. And, I mean, maybe I'll say this. It didn't didn't help these kids this year in terms of the other guards on the roster. I, did you see them get better <laughs> by the end of the year, having shade in there and practicing with them? I well, mean, and and
1: I mean, I've had some people ask me in DM and an email, and I've not got a chance to answer them yet. Was that what led to the collapse? Did the players get mad thinking that Shaden was good enough to help them and Cal didn't play him? I don't think so, Derek. I don't think that – I think that there could have been more problems had they played him because then some of these guys wouldn't have been playing at all. That's where I think the yeah. issues would have come in. So I don't, I don't think that guys got mad at, at Cal for not playing sharp because they thought he could win a national championship for them. I, I think all these dudes at one point thought they were good enough to win the whole thing. We all did. And that's where I, and that's why I don't even know if I want to criticize Cal over this whole shading situation, because they looked like the best team in America when he kind of put it to rest that he wasn't playing. There were no backcourt issues, but I kept saying all along, from the beginning, I think at one point I said in the beginning, preparing to play just in case you need him, because you never know when an injury is going to happen. But then also it was like you don't have to have him if you're healthy. So it was kind of this slippery slope here where I'm like which side of the fence are you on I just feel like it's only a win-win situation if he's at Kentucky next year it's a total lose for everyone in my opinion if he's not like even with Shaden because the criticism that's going to come with it even though that's not going to hurt Shaden because Shaden's going to go into the NBA but there's still going to be criticism there and then it's just a lose-lose for John Calipari and Kentucky fans
0: yeah I don't think Shaden's going to be too concerned about what people are saying about him online when he's uh Signing that first contract (laughs) in a few months. But the other angle to this too, Sean, depending on who you talk to or what you've heard, Kentucky could have had Nick Smith. Have you you heard that? That's what I've heard.
1: Yeah, they could have.
0: They could have had him. So you effectively pass on a guy who you're at the play now at Arkansas, who is a dynamic player. I think the number six player in the country, a shooting guard. And if Shaden Lee, and maybe you couldn't have gotten, you know, whenever Shaden came here, maybe that eliminated. Maybe they chose Shaden. I, I just feel like maybe there was a there's a misread somewhere. If you don't end up with either of those guys, oh. you're gonna be dependent on basically some stud guard that we don't know about to go into the portal and try to save you for next season. And that's <laughs> not really the spot you want to be in. No no one who's coming into the portal is going to be one, more than likely not a former top five player, or two a potential top five draft pick because obviously they wouldn't be going to the portal. So I don't think either guy or whoever it is that they end up getting ultimately is going to be as talented as either of those other players. And because of that, they're someone I think needs some criticism on the roster construction. If it comes to that.
1: And that's where the criticism comes for, I guess on the Shaden on Shaden side of this and not directly to Shaden, but maybe Shaden's camp. Like if the whole commitment and you've been saying I'm going to be here next year, this is the plan. And then you dip, then you're like, man, you know, we could have had Nick Smith Jr. at Kentucky. And then you're talking Nick Smith Jr., Casey Wallace, Chris Livingston coming in here. And some of the conversation we're having right now, we're not even having. Then our biggest thing is, okay, is Oscar a part of this next year? Is, Is Jacob Toppin a part of this next year? You can go to the portal and you can get solid pieces. I have no doubt that John Calipari is going to put a solid team together it's just, is it good enough to win a national championship, get to a Final Four? Right now, Derek, people don't want a Sweet 16 team. They don't want an Elite Eight roster. It needs to be a Final Four, and something good needs to happen for this program. You can't get a Shaden Sharp in the portal, and you can't get an Oscar Sheboy in the portal. You can go get a Keon Brooks. There's probably 150 players like Keon Brooks out there right now that could do exactly what he did at Kentucky this year. Same thing could be said for a majority of these guys on these on this roster. Davion Mints. I think there's even plenty of Kellen Grady's that mm-hmm. they could go find shooters and guys that are, have been scorers at a mid major somewhere over the course of four years. Like there's people out there like that. You're not getting Oscar's production, and you're not finding a three level scorer that has NBA upside like Shade and Sharp. That's the two things you can't get in the portal. They need one of them to come back. If they get both of them, I think it kind of. I don't. It doesn't heal the way the fan base is feeling right now it doesn't patch it all up but I think it becomes easier to at least look forward to next year and think that it could be a good year if not the negativity is going to continue reaching an all-time high over the course of the spring and the summer and there were empty seats at Rupp Arena this year for that non-conference schedule I expect it to be a lot emptier in the first few weeks next year Depending on what the schedule looks like, if it's what it usually is, then it, it's going to look pretty empty. They do get the Bahamas tour. We know that they're trying to put that together. So, this long layoff, it they have to. We'll get to see what this team looks like a lot sooner than what we thought.
0: Well, it's a good way to wrap it up, Sean. Uh, well said, right there. As always, uh, Kentucky Daily is brought to you by the Butcher's Pop. Their locations: London, Winsburg, and Pineville. It's also powered by Blue Wire Pods. Um, sean i really appreciate you hopping on here late Uh, i know you were doing this remotely as well so thanks for that and we'll be back soon with another episode of kentucky daily have a good night we'll talk to you next time